Folks, fasten your seatbelts and put those tray tables in their locked position. 2023 has arrived. We cover that and more today on The Grid. The Grid, a digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. Okay, I see shared videos every day of one-year-old Johnny falling asleep with his face in his birthday cake. If you can share that video, surely you can share The Grid with your friends and neighbors. Post it on Facebook, like it on YouTube, share it on Twitter, email it, text it. Help us grow our audience. And for goodness sake, hit that like button and give us a five-star rating when you listen. Thank you for joining the fight for faith and freedom. Welcome to this week's News in Review. Probably the biggest news of the week is the historic voting and ballots needed for Kevin McCarthy to become our next Speaker of the House. In 1820, it took John Taylor 22 ballots to secure the Speaker. In 1849, Howell Cobb needed 63 ballots. In 1860, William Pennington required 44 ballots to win the Speakership. But in 1856, Nathaniel Banks wins the record as he watched 133 ballots pass before he became Speaker of the House. Frankly, I think you would start to question your profession at that point. So this week, when it took Kevin McCarthy 15 votes to win Speaker of the House, it was historic, and it was unprecedented. But it wasn't the only time that this has happened, and that's what many have been led to believe. So let's keep that in proper perspective. So in this process, I learned quite a few things, and I would like to share them with you. So let's just get started. There were essentially 20 Republican holdouts from the House Freedom Caucus, HFC is what I will refer to them as. They had varying degrees of resistance to McCarthy. About half of them just wanted concessions, which makes total sense. And about half of them were just resistant to McCarthy because of who he is. They don't like him. Well, I learned as I researched that McCarthy voted with Pelosi nearly 50% of the time. Obviously, that's very concerning. We also want to make sure that we look at other contexts. Well, let's look at his Liberty score. That's really concerning. McCarthy's conservative score, a core Liberty score, if you would call it, according to the conservative view was a 54 and gets an F grade. Compare that to Jim Jordan's 94 or to Chip Roy's 100, both A's. This is obviously very concerning. So really, no matter where Pelosi falls, McCarthy is closer to her than he is to principal conservatives. So for conservatism, this is not good and it's not a win. Now, this also doesn't shock me because McCarthy's from California. A California Republican is not the same as a Texas Republican, not in a long shot. There's also rumors that McCarthy has ties to a Chinese spy. He's a never-Trumper. He withheld funds from Trump candidates. So what does all this mean? We should be absolutely, completely disappointed in this selection, correct? Well, it is true, and I'm certainly disappointed that he's the speaker, but I am pleased with the process. Our country was designed by our founding fathers. Our country, our government, our system, the two-party system, it was all meant to create friction and most importantly, to give significant power to the minority. That friction was to make change hard to come by. Giving power and a voice to the minority was very important to our founding fathers. Well, that's exactly what we see in this case. 
More than 200 Republicans voted for Kevin McCarthy every single vote. But those 20 holdouts are the ones that determined if McCarthy was going to end up being the speaker or not. The minority showed its power. These 20 holdouts changed the rules in which McCarthy will govern the House of Representatives. The minority showed its power. And the House Freedom Caucus members were able to get significant concessions. The minority showed its power. So let's talk about some of these concessions. We hear that, but what does that mean? Well, I'm actually going to run through them, and here's a list. Any member can call for a motion to vacate the Speaker's chair. Now, this is important because Pelosi actually changed this rule that only leadership of the inner circle could really initiate a vote of no confidence. If McCarthy doesn't want to have a vote every month trying to get him to vacate that chair, he is going to have to work with the HFC. A McCarthy-aligned super PAC known as the Congressional Leadership Fund has now agreed to not spend money in open Republican primaries that are safe seats. This is also big. It means that if the Republican Party has a safe seat, that truly new challengers have a shot now. They don't have to face the big money of the super PAC from a Washington incumbent. And I happen to know of a seat that fits that bill, and that is U.S. House District Number 5 here in Michigan that Sherry O'Donnell ran for. The House will also hold votes on key conservative bills, including a balanced budget amendment, congressional term limits, and border security. McCarthy was resistant to this. He did not want to do this. So this is huge. You will get every congressman on record for either their support or resistance to these important conservative issues. Efforts to raise the national debt ceiling has to be paired with spending cuts. This is also huge. Right now, we just raise the credit limit anytime we reach it with absolutely no repercussions. Now, to raise the debt limit, there has to be spending cuts that go along with it. This is definitely something that HFC has been championing for quite a while. Move 12 appropriation bills individually instead of passing them separate bills to fund government operations. Not sure exactly what that means. Uh, More Freedom Caucus representation on committees including the Influential House Rules Committee. This is also a very big deal. Those people who are the most principled conservatives will now have greater influence in how the House is run. Discretionary spending will be capped at fiscal 2022 levels, which would amount to lower levels for defense and domestic programs. This is also a core conservative principle, limited spending. There will now be 72 hours to review bills before they come to the floor for a vote. The current rule with Pelosi did not require this. You could put a bill on the floor, and the first time somebody saw it is when it was time to vote. That is chicken crap politics, folks, because the Democrats would sit behind a secret committee, then rush it to the floor for a last-minute emergency vote. Why would they do that? Well, it's not because they thought they could get conservatives to vote on it. No, that wasn't the issue. It was to absolutely minimize the public and political pushback because the opposing party and the public had no chance to actually see what was in it. Very underhanded politics, for sure. Okay, keep going. Another concession. It gives members the ability to offer more amendments on the House floor. Well, that sounds fairly innocuous, but let me give you an example. This would have been critical for the Disrespect for Marriage Act. There were amendments ready and waiting to strengthen the religious liberty protections in this horrible bill, and they never saw the light of day. And how about this one? One concession was to create an investigative committee whose purpose is to probe the weaponization of the federal government. This is huge, and kudos to the Freedom Caucus. It means that Congress will start actively looking, proactively looking, not reactively, at the FBI, the DOJ, the IRS, the EPA, and countless other agencies that the executive branch has used to punish 
its political opponents. Just take January 6th as a primary example front and center. The last concession is to restore the Holman Rule, which can be used to reduce the salary of government officials. Well, do I even need to comment on this one? Who disagrees with that? So, just to be clear, am I a Kevin McCarthy fan? No, not in the slightest. But I am a fan of the U.S. Constitution, I am a fan of process, and I'm a fan of compromise, and I'm a fan of the minority being heard. And in this case, the House Freedom Caucus was able to achieve through concessions significant guardrails that will force Kevin McCarthy to address some very principled conservative issues. For that, I say thank you to the Freedom Caucus. Now to some non-political news, but very humbling and sobering indeed. Did you happen to see Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin have a heart attack on the field last week in an NFL game? After making a seemingly benign tackle of wide receiver T. Higgins, he collapsed on the spot. Within one minute, he was being administered CPR on the field, likely the very thing that saved his life. Now, there's nothing like a life-threatening medical condition to give us instant perspective on what really matters. Furthermore, did you see the whole team gather around Hamlin and pray? Ladies and gentlemen, that is how you take a knee. You humbly approach the throne of grace and you petition our Father in heaven. Then to go even further, Dan Orlovsky was emboldened on live ESPN to pray for Hamlin out loud. It sent chills down my spine. That's how you step out and you show the world who we serve. I'm so grateful to hear Hamlin has had significant improvement. He's breathing on his own, evidenced by the removal of his breathing tube. Hamlin, we are praying for you and we thank all of you who showed their faith publicly. We serve a mighty God. For this week's News and Review, that's a wrap. When I think of the future and what the outlook is for 2023, I can think of no better way to make that assessment than to sit down with Christian, patriotic entrepreneurs and have a chat. Fortunately, I was able to do just that this past December. Let's listen to that conversation. Well, thank you, fellow Americans, for joining us today on The Grid. I have two special guests with us, Tony Lanny, the co-founder and CEO of America First Insurance Group. Thanks, Tony, for joining us today. My pleasure. It's good to be here. And we also have Andrew Krapuchets from Red Balloon, the founder and CEO of Red Balloon. Hey. Thanks, Andrew, for joining us. Thanks for having me. How are you guys doing today? We're doing good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, up here in Idaho, there's a lot of snow right now. So it's looking a lot like Christmas. Let's just say that. Wow. Good for you. It's going to be about 64 degrees here in Southern California. So I hate to even mention that. <laughs> well, I thought we would start off today's podcast doing a little bit of a recap of this year as we're in the home stretch of 2022. I know that I've had a lot of emotions centered around the first week in November uh, when we had those elections. And I know that I had an emotional response. Of course, I live in uh, Southwest Michigan right now. So Michigan pretty much committed the trifecta of many things that I believe as a Christian are wrong but they are what they are. That invoked a response in me. Tony, you're in Southern California. How do you feel about 2022 and most recently the election? Okay, well, I will tell you that just happening with the elections, you know, I grew up in Southern California, Orange County to be, uh, you know, more specific. And the Orange County used to be very Republican, very conservative. And we, you know, everything turned. Obviously, I'm here in Los Angeles now, but I will tell you that with the elections, I think 
on just on a personal level, you know, it's people are just getting sick and tired. They're just tired of all of the, you know, uh, hypocritical statements and things that are coming from our politicians, things that are happening within the state. You know, as you know, America First Insurance, who I, you know, the company I head up, you know, we're here in California and Gavin Newsom is our governor. And he was one of the reasons that we even started America First Insurance because of all everything that was going on and and people not wanting to recall him. I mean, you know, we had this big recall movement and then all of a sudden he was not recalled. And who knows how above board the voting was. And I have my opinions about that. But at the same time, I'm glad that 2022, I think we covered a lot of ground. I think it woke up a lot of people. Chris, but at the same time, it's a matter of just saying, hey, you know what, let's move on to 2023 and people's eyes are opening up all the way from our governor down to our president of the United States and to the administration. I think people are realizing that things are just not making a lot of sense and even people on the left are starting to wake up. So I feel very positive going in uh, into 2023. I appreciate you sharing that. That reminds me of that scripture that what is in the dark will be brought into the light. And I do believe that we saw some of that in 2022. Andrew, what do you see as 2022 as it comes to a close? Yeah, thanks. I, I see it as a mixed bag, honestly. And my one caveat is I'm generally an optimist and I'm going to see things from a you know glass half full situation. But if you look at the year, right, the Republicans did gain ground in the Senate and the House. Obviously, we thought we were going to gain a lot more ground. So on a political front, ground was gained, um, which is good. Nancy Pelosi will not have the same control that she had in the past. That's a very, very good thing for all Americans. Um, The other trend that I saw is this big sort that happened uh, where you saw many, many Americans moving to cities and states that are more aligned with their worldview. And what I mean by that is you actually saw a lot of people moving into New York and Illinois and California who really wanted to vote to the left and wanted to find a place to align with their worldview. But we also saw a lot of those people who had a more conservative worldview moving to places like Idaho, where I live, or Texas or Florida or some of the other red states. And so I actually see this this country being sorted in a little bit and people are self-sorting and moving to where they want to be free. If you saw um, New York in, uh, we only have tax data for 2020 at this point, but they had $19 billion of annual taxable income left the state of New York in 2020, which just tells you that people are taking their dollars with them and the very productive conservatives, the ones who get work done and don't spend all their time in political activism and things like that, they're moving where they can be free. And places like Idaho, we actually saw our election go more red, more to the right, because I think you actually got rid of a lot lot of rhinos here because you had a lot of people moving here who actually believed it. Because I think COVID was a great accelerator of a lot of things. It made us all wake up and realize what's going on, what the agenda is that's being run on us. And when you see all these people moving, they're voting uh, much more wisely in a lot of these red states. So so again, I would call the, the year a bit of a mixed bag. We did gain some ground on the election, not as much as we wanted. Um, I think people don't have as much trust in the election process as they used to, uh, which I think is a very concerning trend. But obviously, having states go more red, having 
Florida elect DeSantis by a landslide. It's like not even an issue. Remember when, you know, we used to have the hanging chads and all the things that we're dealing with <laughs> in Miami-Dade, right? That Those don't exist anymore. And we've actually cleaned up some election things in Florida. So, so those are some encouraging trends. Obviously, our culture is a disaster. And when you see the gay pride stuff, when you see the the drag shows, when you see uh, the sexualization of our children, that should be one of the most concerning trends that we're seeing right now. Um, and I'm hoping that people pull their kids out of those schools. And don't just complain at the school board. Actually, pull your kids out and go put them in a place where they can be safe from the disaster that is the public education system in America today. I think that's well said. I like how you put that, that it's self-sorting. People are really sort of going to their camps, right? I think this idea of being lukewarm is starting to be vetted out, that you're pretty much going to have to decide where your values are. Because unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, however you look at it, the country is becoming more polarized. It is becoming more divisive. And you're not going to be able to just sit on the fence, at least not as I see it. Yeah, absolutely. People are having to choose sides. Uh, I remember talking to a gentleman recently who actually uh, works for Parler, and he has lived in Boston his whole life. And he now moved down to Tennessee to Nashville because He's like, look, I need to find freedom for my family. Raising my kids in this environment that is so dramatically to the left is just not healthy anymore. And he says, look, conservatives, we don't, we don't like to move. We don't like to change. We like to stick with what we've always had. We conserve. That's what we do. But we have had such a upheaval in our country that it was a necessary move for him to move his family down to Tennessee. And I, I think that is one of a million stories that is happening all across the country right now, um, which is going to produce some very interesting trends going into next year. I appreciate those comments. Tony, now that we're in 2023, culturally speaking, what do you see in the year ahead? Culturally speaking, I think that you're going to have more parents kind of pulling in the reins as to, you know, realizing that they are responsible for raising their children. I think for so long, you know, all, all of us are old enough to remember that when our parents sent us to school, we were in pretty good hands. And, you know, I mean, for the education, the curriculum, you know, the staff, the teaching, uh, you know, board, everything else. It, but what's happened now, and to Andrew's point, we were talking about these uh, drag shows. When I see videos, there's nothing more. I, I just become so infuriated when I see these parents participating in these shows where they look at the kid like, isn't this fascinating? Isn't this wonderful? And I'm just ready to puke because I will tell you exactly why. Because I'm thinking to myself, people had asked me, they said, why aren't they doing anything about it? Why are they just kind of, you know, uh, sitting there um, on the sidelines? And it's almost like social media. God forbid that you can actually say, this is not for my child. I will not subject them to this. And now you don't want to be thought of as the person who's homophobic. Or the person who's saying, oh, no, it's, it's like, you know, if you say, no, Black Lives Matter, I don't believe in Black Lives Matter because it's a Marxist organization because of this and this and this. And people are, are you a racist? It has nothing to do with being a racist. It has to do with really what the organization stands for. I will tell you for years, and I know this is a long answer, but I will tell you for years, you know, every time you see something on the ballot and they talk about it, it's almost like when you see the bill that says, feed our stray dogs and animals in the park bill. This will improve our parks so that we make it. And then you really look at the bill and you realize 
has really nothing to do with making sure that the animals are okay. But it has to do with, you know, that, okay, this part of the park is going to be for drag shows. It's like, oh, wait a minute. This has nothing to do with what the bill said. So to answer your question, I do believe that the parents are going to pull back more on their children. They're going to realize that we can't just trust the schools. You know, like they say, you know, who raises your child? It's the parents. It's the parents raise a child. I know that, listen, you know, we could, I could have gotten in trouble in school from a teacher or principal, but the old saying is wait till your father gets home. It wasn't the teachers. It wasn't the principal. It was having to deal with my dad and with my mom. And that is really, I think, what people are going back to the basics. People are going back to what this country was built on. So when people talk about you, you have, you know, you have conservative views. Yeah, I have the views that this country, this great country was built on. So I believe that we are we are moving forward is going to be an improvement. I believe there's going to be a lot of changes with what's going on in Washington with the administration. You know, I think people's eyes are are starting to open up on many levels, not all levels, but on many levels. So, Andrew, you hit on something, and so did Tony, about one of the most important culture issues is really the sexualization of our children. And I think of the constitutional amendment that just passed in Michigan. It was called the Reproductive Freedom for All Act, I think is, <laughs> is how it was labeled. And in reality, it was a lie is what it was sold as. It really wasn't. What it does is it removes parents. It removes everyone from either knowledge or opposition for kids to get abortions or to transition them into some some new gender identity. But here's why I'm mentioning that, because I do think that there's just a bill of lies that's been sold at a lot of levels. And I saw this recently. I have a friend who used to work for Family Research Council, and he sent me an article that shows that up to 30 percent of individuals who have transitioned into a gender that is not their own are now detransitioning because they have been sold a bill of lives. Now, part of me cynically says, why isn't it higher? But 30% is a huge number. Andrew, do you think we're going to see more of this as we sort of move down this, this evolution, this timeline? Absolutely. Societies always are like a pendulum. They're always going to swing back and forth. And we see this in the 60s, which, gener- which generated some of the craziness that um, we're dealing with today. But I'm, I'm seeing that pendulum swing back where people are realizing that the bill of lies that they've been sold are ruining their lives. They're ruining the lives of their children. But I'm with Tony, man. When you see um, those approving parents having their kids watch a drag show, yeah, it makes me want to throw up in my mouth and everywhere else and just shake those parents. What are you thinking? What are you trying to accomplish? But we are in a very dark time culturally because we have this uh, religion of death, right? We've had abortion in our country for many, many years. Um, And then the children who do make it through the gauntlet of um, their mother's womb and come into the world, then the left is trying to grab them there as well. I remember talking to a good friend who, when he was at University of Maryland, he was talking to a liberal friend of his and saying, look, you know, we conservatives have the kids, so we're going to, you know, win. It's just a math problem in the end. And the, the liberal friend said, actually, no, that's not true. That's why I'm going into education, because I see it as a tool to grab the hearts and minds of the next generation and bring them to where I want them to be. So it's a very intentional thing that is being done. Don't think that it's just kind of happening all around us. It is an intentional plan that is being run on our kids. Um, and, And what I would tell parents is it's great to go to the school board and it's great to push on these things. And we hear these 
heartfelt speeches by parents saying you've got to remove these things. But my response to those parents is that's great that you're doing that speech, but you need to start by removing your child. You are responsible for that child. You should not be giving up and swallowing the reductio that they're effectively in charge of your children and you're pleading with them to remove this pornography from the curriculum or pleading with them to remove the sexualization of your children. No, pull your kids out of there. Um, don't just wait around for that to happen. You're responsible. I remember hearing one of the teachers on Libs of TikTok who just looked like a horrible person saying, you know, well, you know, our, I'm a guardian during the day and the parents are guardians. You know, he didn't even call them uh, parents. You call them guardians um, in the <laughs> evening, right? And when you have put yourself as a teacher in the same position as the parents, um, then, well, why shouldn't you be able to do whatever you want with, that, with those children? Because you're just a, a co-guardian with the people who happen to birth this child. Um, and that is a very, very dangerous road that we're going down. So uh, I would encourage people, pull your kids out of school. But also, you know, if you're in a state like Michigan, I uh, hate to say, the reality is that a lot of people are like, you know what, I am fed up with this and I'm going to go move somewhere where the laws align more with my values. So that's another trend that we're seeing, as I mentioned earlier, where people are moving to places where they can be free and moving to places where they can raise their kids without the concern that they're going to be taken or their minds and hearts are going to be taken. So that's interesting, Andrew. I really appreciate those comments, especially that point of view. You know, we often think of removal and cancel culture is, hey, this is what I'm going to do to make sure that content doesn't reach me. Therefore, you must change. But I, I like what you said. Hey, we have a choice, too, to decide where we're going to allow our kids to go. And if we need to remove them, I mean, that that's sort of the reverse cancel culture. But it is saying, I'm going to protect my family. Either you're not going to deliver content that I don't agree with, or I'm going to remove my kids from that content stream. Absolutely. I really appreciate that. You're listening to The Grid, a podcast production of the Kingdom Patriot Group. You can find us on the web at kingdompatriot.us. Join us in the fight for faith and freedom. Mondays on your favorite podcast platform. So let's switch gears, uh, gentlemen, to talk about the economic outlook. Tony, you're in the insurance industry, and I honestly don't know how economic conditions affect insurance. I think the economic signals that we're seeing tell us that 2023 may be a bit of a rough road ahead. What do you see in the insurance business? I think what's happened is some of the uh, carriers and many of the carriers, I should say, like just for example, in Florida, have gotten out of the uh, homeowners market, the homeowners insurance because of with, you know, with storms and hurricanes and everything happening there. I do believe at the same time, there has been an awareness, Chris, of of realizing that there are companies, you know, people are and I've always said this and it's what America First Insurance stands for. It's like, you know, as the society has become more woke people are sick and tired of paying their premiums to companies that don't align with their values. And these are companies that actually hate you. I mean, there, there's no other way to, to you know, really say it. And, and I know Andrew knows this and in his work with Red Balloon is that when, when people have these values, I mean, when they say, it's almost like Hobby Lobby, when Hobby Lobby a few years back, when they said, you know what, we're, we're not going to be paying for this you know, insurance because it includes, you know, abortions and everything else being the the uh, the um, organization that Hobby Lobby is. I mean, people just, I can't believe 
that you would ever refuse because people just don't, I think they're lazy on some, on one level. So for, to answer your question on people with, that they've had a certain carrier for years, you know, an insurance company for years, then they're going to say, you know what, I don't want to be with this company. And I think what's happening is not only the changes, Chris, financially, where some of the insurance companies may struggle. That's the reason why we have to vet out the companies that we're working with. We need to make sure that they align with our values. But I do believe at the same time, companies are now saying, well, wait a minute, you know, we don't want to lose these people. So we need to somehow make sure that all of our products are appealing to these people a certain way. Now, you know, you do have the companies that are veering left, the progressives and the Geico's and the state farms and everything else. You know, State Farm tried to put out that transgender coloring book, and obviously that didn't go too well. I'm sure that somebody said, you know, this might not be a good idea, guys. And they said, oh, what do you know? We're thinking of uh, diversity and inclusion. Well, that really backfired. So on a financial level, I do believe that there are a lot of insurance carriers, the companies that we're coming across and hearing about in our industry that are struggling a little bit because people are, you know, pushing back. It's almost like uh, Balenciaga when you say, oh, well, this is just such a fine clothing line and I want to wear it kind of like a Chanel or a Gucci or anything else. And then all of a sudden you realize the horror show that's going on behind with pedophilia and everything else. People are going, well, wait a minute. I don't really don't think I really need that handbag. Or I really don't need those clothes. And there's some people that are just going to look the other way. I've always said this during the pandemic that, you know, you remember when they when they shut down a lot of mom and pop stores. But of course, they kept open the targets and some of these other stores. Had they closed down the Starbucks, I believe the pandemic would have been over much sooner, more, much quicker. <laughs> but, but you'll notice they kept open the Starbucks. And, uh, you know, because everybody needs their cap, you know, they need their they need their coffee, not putting down Starbucks and their quality. But I'm just saying that, you know, people, there's a certain thing like, oh, could you imagine what's going on with this pandemic? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you one more time. Remove your mask. I said, can you, you know, so you, you have these people there, but as long as they're holding their their coffee, you know, with the uh, with the coffee holder, everyone's happy. So I do believe that a lot of the insurance companies are on watch to and a lot of them are in trouble because that's the information that that we get so we're, we're we're steering clear of all of those types of companies and those companies that have those values you know tony i do have a friend who works for state farm and i was uh, pretty familiar with with that and the very real pushback not from not necessarily from the agents within state farm but the customers sure i know it, I, my friend uh, had very real very real challenges with some of his clients who said, I, I'm not going to align my business if this is if this is the way the company is going to go. So economically, Tony, do you see, it's interesting, you said that a lot of companies are pulling out of the home homeowner's insurance market. Some, I would assume, because of hurricanes and paying a lot of claims. Does mm -hmm. any of that also have to do with the inflated real estate prices that puts those insurance companies really on the hook for larger claims than they otherwise might have to? You know, not so much for insuring the home in itself, but I will tell you because, you know, if you've had insurance, if you've had coverage for six months, a year, two years, it's not so much based on the hurricanes and everything else. So the house was half a million dollars and now it's gone up to $800,000. You still have to get that 
you know, that home insured. But what a lot of the carriers are doing now is they're saying, you know what, because of the storms, because of the hurricanes, we're paying out for so many claims that we are pulling out of those states. We've had a lot of people who have contacted us at America First to say, you know what, I'm in Florida and my carrier dropped me. And it was, and truly, it wasn't even because they had any claims. They said, nope, moratorium, we're not going to cover you anymore. I was a farmer's insurance agent in the early 90s. And, you know, like literally about three months, or actually, excuse me, I was licensed in March of 94. Well, as you know, the, the Northridge earthquake was in January of 94. And by June, there was a moratorium. You couldn't write any more homeowner's insurance because of the damage. It didn't matter whether you had a claim or not. So I think it has to do not so much with the with the value of the homes, at least what we're seeing, but it really has to do with, hey, you know what, you know, we're uh, we're ABC insurance company and we just cannot start. We can't continue to pay these claims that we already have on our books. So we're just not going to write it anymore. I know in this particular podcast, we're not we're not doing a Bible study here, but when you said that, it just reminds me <laughs> in Matthew where Jesus says, you know, in those end times, there's going to be famines and earthquakes and all of these things are beginning of birth pains. If all these companies are going to stop insuring homes because of natural disasters, it sounds like, according to Scripture, those insurance companies are going to stop doing business at some point in the future. Well, they are. I mean, they are in, in, in many of those states. And that's the reason why I'm going to tell you in Florida with, you know, any of the hurricanes and any of the trouble that they're having is is not they're just beginning to, many of them have pulled out. Now, it's a matter of like, let's say if you have a state farm or farmers or all state, it's not a matter of them going out of business. It's just a matter of saying, hey, you know what? There's a moratorium right now. We're not writing, you know, we're not writing any more coverage. And that's truly, that's what's happening right now. So, Andrew, I know that you have some background in construction. What do you see if, if somebody was to ask you, look at the crystal ball for the construction industry, the home, the, I guess the home construction industry in 2023, how would you respond? Yeah, it would depend on where you are. Uh, I do see a de-urbanization of America happening. I think when um, the Black Lives Matter riots were happening, when um, a lot of the COVID lockdowns were happening, where people would go to these rural towns and find that actually people weren't crazy there, um, you start to see a lot of people move to these smaller towns. So um, I'll give an example. I've got um, a housing development I'm doing here in Moscow. We've got about 100 houses that we're bringing on the market, and I pre-sold 85 of them in two weeks uh, because there are people moving from places like Seattle and Portland and San Francisco, Minneapolis, others who are just looking for freedom for their kids. And so I'd say if you are trying to build an, uh, an office complex in downtown pick a city, you're going to struggle because as we see these trends to working from home, as we see these trends of getting out of the big cities, uh, that's going to be a real struggle. I think some of the housing in condos and apartments in big downtown urban areas are going to struggle. But I'm, I'm pretty bullish on um, housing in small communities, I think. What's going to happen is the Fed will continue to be silly with the interest rates that will significantly throttle demand for building supplies, which will slow down construction in some areas, but then will cause the construction supplies to be cheaper and less expensive as we go into these rural areas. And so, um, again, the fact that I sold 85 of my 100 lots 
in a couple of weeks tells you that there's still people looking to move to places where they can be free. So I think it's going to be a mixed bag, just like, and I feel like a broken record when I keep saying it's a mixed bag, but we are in a very bifurcated country right now where people are moving for their values. They're um, trying to buy houses, build houses where they can be free. And so that's the trend that we're seeing here in little rural Moscow, Idaho. I think you're going to see that trend. And I'm seeing data that shows that trend around the country. And if you own property in downtown Portland, you're probably in a bad spot right now. Um, and I would recommend trying to get out if at all possible. That's interesting. That's that's not what I expected to hear. You know, I come from the healthcare industry and a lot of people don't realize this, but in uh, in the fall of 2022, 19 of the 20 largest health systems in the United States actually lost money. You just kind of have to wrap your mind around that. For the billions of dollars that healthcare brings in, the margins typically are small. A top producing healthcare system usually will produce a four to six percent margin on the bottom line. And yet, all of these are losing money, especially even with the hundreds of millions of dollars of Fed money that poured in because of COVID. The industry has not necessarily seen return to volumes prior to COVID. It's just an industry that has been hit very, very hard. And the labor market has worked almost in opposition, if you will, to the margins of the of the organizations as the shortage of nursing has caused nursing rates to go up at a rate that is hardly imaginable. Sometimes when you're paying nurses from temporary agencies, upwards of 130 to 150 to 170 dollars per hour. It's absolutely unsustainable. So it's it's actually encouraging. It's it's not what I expected to hear from from you, Andrew. So I'm going to ask you specifically, knowing how employment has has impacted the healthcare industry, what do you see in that world? Because that's where Red Balloon does a lot of its work is in the labor market. What do you see the labor market looking like in 2023? Yeah, um, there's a number of trends that have been developing for years in the labor market. And again, for those who are listening and don't know, RedBalloon.Work is the is the job board for conservatives who just want freedom at work and they don't want to deal with. Uh, whether it's cancel culture or really just wokeness in the workplace. So um, that's what redballoon.work is. If you're an employer, you can find great employees. And if you're an employee, um, you can go find an employer that will actually respect your values and let you um, not be a woke tard. So that's a really good thing. So uh, what we're <laughs> seeing is really interesting trends, uh, particularly in healthcare. So I'll pick on healthcare a little bit. If you look at the number of open positions in all of healthcare throughout the country, in in January of 2020, so right before the pandemic, there was about 1.2 million open jobs across the country. And this is doctors, nurses, um, all the positions within the hospital systems, 1.2 million unfilled positions that were posted across the country. As you fast forward a year to January of 2021, you now are well into the heart of the pandemic um, or the pandemic, depending on how you see it. And you have a still only 1.2 million open positions. And I think a lot of that is healthcare professionals really wanted to take care of people. I know I talked to nurses who were um, all over the country at Red Balloon where they said, look, I come out on the street in my scrubs and people clap for me. I'm a hero, right? Going through this whole thing. And so you actually didn't see this, this major departure from the labor market. Then you introduce the vaccine mandate um, in early 2021. Um, actually kind of mid-2021. 
um, what happened at that moment. And the Supreme Court says, no, it's not lawful for employers to do that. But if you're in the healthcare industry, you can force your employees, you know, the employees who have the most medical education, who have the most real world examples, um, you can force them to get a vaccine. You start seeing 100,000 new unfilled positions in the healthcare industry every single month. So it went from 1.2 million unfilled positions in healthcare across the country to 2 million by the end of 2021. So you have this dramatic group of people who are like, you know what, that's it. That was a you know, bridge too far, the straw that broke the camel's back, whatever you want to call it. They left the labor market in that in that hospital space. And we have helped place thousands of Americans in jobs where they can be free. And a lot of nurses that I talked to said, you know, what? it just it was a moment when I decided I needed to change careers. No matter what the money is, I don't love the tyranny that's in the healthcare system of America today. So you go from 1.2 million unfilled positions to 2 million unfilled positions in the space of about nine months. Well, when you do that, the laws of supply and demand kick in hard, right? And that's what you're talking about. The amount of money you need to pay a nurse to come is based on the fact that there simply aren't enough nurses for the work that needs to be done. The other thing that's really interesting is this problem is most acute in places like New York or Illinois, blue states, where their freedoms are curb stomped pretty often. And so uh, I saw an article that there were hospitals in New York during 2020 one and into 2022 that were not accepting prenatal care or any births. So if you were in labor, you needed to find somewhere else to have your baby because they simply did not have the staff to be able to do this. One hospital in New York reported that they had one nurse for every 30 beds. I mean, that's a that's a disaster if you're in healthcare if, or if you're that patient, right? Can you imagine if you're one of 30 patients that one nurse is trying to take care of? Basically, unless you're crashing, you're going to have to be on your own. Everything's going to take a lot longer. So the laws of supply and demand made it so that it's very expensive to have healthcare professionals because we basically sidelined and kicked out a lot of healthcare professionals through the vaccine mandates. And then, lo and behold, uh, you have all this government regulation come in. And so, yes, it is an absolute disaster if you're a healthcare professional or if you're someone who actually wants healthcare because... It is very, very expensive. And so that's going to cause some weird trends going forward when you don't have enough of a labor force to fill those jobs. And that's obviously on the healthcare side. There's some other really interesting trends that have happened in the labor market generally. If you look at the number of baby boomers, for instance, who retired, um, leading up to 2020, there were about 1.5 million baby boomers that retired every single year. So 1.5 million per year. You go into 2020, when all of a sudden it's very difficult to be in the workforce and you have a lot of regulations, um, whether it's COVID related or just wokeness in the workplace, and that number doubled. So you went from 1.5 million uh, baby boomers retiring a year to 3 million baby boomers retiring a year. And that happened in 2020 and 2021. And we're going to find out what 2022 holds for us. But I think what you're seeing there is just as you make it more difficult to be in the labor force, and as you give a lot of these government subsidies such that you don't need to work, and you this baby boomer generation is actually the wealthiest generation that we've ever seen because it was the first generation that consistently had two income earners and fewer kids. And so all of those things kind of focus those people on, you know what, I think it's time for me to just tap out of the labor market. I've got plenty in my savings or my retirement account, and so I'm going to leave. 
And a lot of those people only had one kid. And that kid is kind of a trust fund kid and is just sleeping on the couch at 28 or playing video games. And so um, we have a labor market crisis in America that's not going to go away anytime soon because we've had, what, 40 years of abortion laws that have meant there have been fewer human beings being born. And, and then we have a lot of money floating around the economy, whether it's government subsidies or otherwise, so that people don't have to work. And so even with the economy going down, and I do think that the Fed and the Biden administration will cause at least a bit of a recession, you're still going to have a tight labor market, which is a really weird dynamic because usually those two go together. Uh, but we simply don't have enough people to get all the work done that needs to get done. You know, that's, that is a really interesting dynamic because normally you don't see this. When you see a re recession, especially if it's strong, you usually see a significant increase in unemployment. And this market is not behaving like, I think, traditional situations. And it may be because we're not truly in a capitalistic market. There's so much government intervention that's causing some of this activity that the market is maybe not behaving exactly as we would expect it. And I want to touch on something you said, Andrew, because I've been on this high horse for a while. And that is, what if we had not legalized abortion and we had 60 million babies who were now of working age paying taxes into the Treasury? And I say that for this reason. A lot of people don't realize that today's life expectancy actually pushes people to get Social Security income that is far beyond what they input into the system. So it takes a factor of greater than one of working people to pay those Social Security taxes to order in order to fund the retirees. And so when you tell me that we've had 60 million babies aborted who are not paying taxes, so it's reducing those people in the labor force, and you have the baby boomers retiring at an accelerated rate, that to me sounds like, like an economic disaster. The burden on the folks who actually are working to support the revenue to pay for the retirement social security for those folks who've retired is probably unsustainable. Oh, it's absolutely under, unsustainable. And, you know, we see from the scriptures where, you know, the, the wealth of a nation is their people and uh, we're in a human capital based economy. And we've been ignoring those basic principles of, well, if you have uh, more babies, you will have more workers down the line. Um, and this is not just a problem in America. This is going to be a significant problem in places like China and Russia, where that one child policy for all those years in China, which is almost 50 years now, when you do that, you will have a significant demographic problem. There are 30 million men in China who will never get married, because if you're only going to be allowed to have one child, you're probably going to have a male child so that you can continue the family name. And so you have 30 million men who will never get married, which is significant. You have four parents for only two people who are going to get married, and they have to take care of their parents because that's the culture in China. And you're going to hit this demographic cliff. And once an economy or a country kind of starts to have a demographic downturn, it is a snowball effect. This has been the case in Russia, where they've been well below the replacement rate of one point or of 2.1 babies per mother for many, many years. This is the case with China. In fact, if you read any of Peter Zion's books, he would argue that Russia had to uh, invade Ukraine because they didn't really have a choice. They're running out of people and they need more resources and people. And Ukraine was just a place where they thought they could get both of those things. So demographics play an important part in geopolitical dynamics around the world. 
And in the U.S. right now, we are going to have a tight labor market no matter what the economy looks like, um, which should be the most concerning thing because every time the Fed comes on and says we're going to raise the interest rate, they reference the tight labor market. But the tight labor market will continue to stay around no matter what they do to the interest rate unless they completely nuke the economy. But the reality is we don't have enough people for all the work that needs to be done, no matter how they throttle economic demand um, in this crazy world we live in. I know, I know. You're busy doing life and being a responsible citizen. But we need you. America needs you. You have to get involved. Go to kingdompatriot.us and sign up for our free email alerts. That way we can keep you informed so you can inform others. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join the fight for faith and freedom. So as we look forward to 2023, I continue to see what we call headwinds from an economic perspective. Tony, if you were asked to offer encouragement to folks out there, what would you tell them? Well, I was about to give uh, some comments that may not have been so (laughs) encouraging, but I will tell you, first of all, for encouraging comments in itself is stay the course, understand what your true values are. You know, when you look at, especially where Andrew is living out in Moscow, Idaho, and you have, you know, families, I'm assuming that are more on the conservative side, you know, and you have people who, you know, with great family values. And, you know, it's almost the old joke, you know, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. And so when you go on social media, it's almost like everybody wants to be kumbaya, and they don't want anybody to think that they're that they're causing trouble. You know, I'm not going to vaccinate my child. Oh, my goodness. Are you an anti-vaxxer? No, I just don't want to vaccinate my child because we don't have enough data to, you know, to prove the numbers that they're talking. And everybody just likes to label you. I don't support Black Lives Matter. You're a racist. So everybody just doesn't, everybody wants everyone to accept them. So I will tell you on an encouraging note, stay true to your values. If you are an absolute whack job on the left, I think I said that politically correct. If you're on, if you're a complete whack job on the left, then those are your values. Stick with them. But don't like you see these clips from whether you see President Obama saying, no, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman, or you see Biden talking about marriages between a man and a woman. And then all of a sudden they just completely switch. Andrew and Chris, I don't know about you, but, you know, I've had opinions all my life and they have not they have not differed that black and white where all of a sudden I was on one side and then I switched on the other side. Or if I did, I would say, well, you know, I used to feel this way, but now I don't. These people don't even do that. So to answer your question, Chris, it's a matter of being true to your values, stay the course, do what you feel is best, and stop trying to just do what everybody else thinks that you need to do, number one. And number two, it's a matter of of not trying to get into everybody else's business. Because I truly feel on, on the part that didn't sound so encouraging is I truly believe there's an evil hand over all of this. Because as they say, nothing can can go, you know, under the Trump administration, whether a person voted for him or not, when you look at the numbers and you look at the positive numbers of everything across the board from employment, you know, Andrew will tell you this from employment and from, you know, uh, being in you know debt and the price of gasoline and everything else, all of a sudden for things to turn this negative this quickly, it's done on purpose. And I will tell you, it's. I have a friend of mine, a political humorist, who unfortunately passed last year. He was 94 years old, Mort Saul. And Mort was part of the, to find out who shot 
uh, John Kennedy. He wrote for John Kennedy. He knew the Kennedy family. And he went down to New Orleans and with Jim Garrison. And for five years, they went and, and you know, really wanted to find out who killed the president. And this is just coming from me. Is And Mort came out and says, well, it's the CIA because they wanted to stop the, the war that was going overseas. Kennedy wanted to stop it. This is the reason why they got rid of him, because the government was making money. And the moment he said the CIA, he went from one of the most popular, revered, political humorist, I mean, on the front of Time magazine and you name it, to being blacklisted, where he literally was fired off of Las Vegas and television and everything else. And he was making the William Morris office, his agency, theatrical agency, over a million dollars in the 60s of money that they were making, and they cut him. And I said, Mort, why would they cut you if you were making them that much money? He says, because bigger money told them to. So I will tell you that when you look at the Biden administration and everything else that's happened, where all of a sudden you see dark from the drag show, you know, from the drag queen shows to everything about what's going on in saying that, wait a minute, that's not that that doesn't make any sense where all these people want to transition. I do believe that there is a higher source of evil that is somehow turning these people against the people that this against what this country was built on. It's my opinion. This is what I see. So on an encouraging note, stay true to your values. Do what you have to. Andrew, like you said, you went from Boston, I believe, and he moved to, I think you said Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken. And so now that, you know, he says, I got to take my family and I got to pack up and I got to go where it's best for the family. You know, he's uh, he's not just doing what his neighbor's doing. He's doing what he is right for him and he's staying true to his values. I appreciate that, Tony. Andrew, closing comments. How would you encourage someone in light of the headwinds that we're going to face in 2023? Yeah, we absolutely are facing headwinds. And I would encourage people, do something to support people who are on our side, right? Go to Tony and get your insurance needs taken care of. Look, it takes a lot of work to move from whatever bank you're in, whatever insurance you have, whatever job you have, whatever shopping patterns you have. It takes work to build new patterns with people who don't hate your worldview. But I would say the more that you're using your dollars and your labor and your investments with people who really just hate your worldview, the more you are empowering the people on the left to continue with this agenda. When you keep your money at a JP Morgan or a Wells Fargo, those are evil organizations that really hate the Christian and conservative worldview. And so you need to stop supporting them. And you think, well, it's not, I mean, I don't make that much of a difference. Correct. You don't. But when 5 million Americans leave JP Morgan and Wells Fargo, um, then the uh, go woke, go broke does play out for them. And so I would say do one thing today that supports a conservative business or another conservative in your life. Go to publicsquare.com and find a new way to shop um, instead of going to Amazon. Go to redballoon.work and see if you can find a job where you're actually supporting an employer who doesn't hate your worldview. I was talking to someone recently and they said they didn't realize that when you are making, uh, when you have a job, when you have a salary, your employer is making more money on you than they are paying you. And they're like, well, it makes sense. I just didn't think about it like that. And so the reality is that the company that the big woke company that you're working for today is making more money on your labor 
then they're paying you. And so you're really supporting them in a big way. And they're like, I thought I was plundering the Egyptians. And that might be the case sometimes, but often they're um, uh, shrewder than we are. And they're making tons of money on your hard labor. So go find someone who actually supports your worldview and go work for them. And that's what redballoon.work helps people do. We want to see people in this conservative economy, supporting each other, shopping, using your dollars to support conservative businesses. And if we do that, we're going to take away some of this power on the left. And, and my encouragement is just do one thing today and then do one thing tomorrow. Go tell someone about a red balloon or about a public square, about Americans insurance. Like These are the things that we need to do. When we push on those things, um, there are more uh, clear-thinking conservatives in America. Uh, we are the largest ideological group, but we have been the most likely to be quiet and just kind of keep our head down. And it's time to stop. It's time to rise up and just vote with your dollars. You don't have to be shrill like the left is, but you can just focus on using your dollars and your labor to support people who don't hate you. And when you do that, you will find that you have a lot of power and that uh, our country can be saved. Really appreciate those comments. Tony, staying the course. Andrew, make a difference. I think the one thing I would add would not be so much what to do. It would be more of a mindset. I was significantly convicted by the Holy Spirit after the elections that I realized I was so disappointed because I had placed my hope in those elections. And I would encourage everyone that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength and they will not be disappointed. And to make sure that even when we see setbacks, even when we see things that we know, why are we surprised when the enemy is pushing back against the Lord? That should be expected. And therefore, if we put our hope in worldly things, we're going to be disappointed. Our emotions are going to ebb and flow with successes and failures. But if our hope is in the Lord, then we will not be moved and we will be renewed. That would be my encouragement to everyone who is listening is to make sure that our mindset, our hearts are in the right place as we move forward and push on these things. Tony, Andrew, I am so glad you guys joined today. You're a wealth of knowledge. Absolutely love having you guys on the grid. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thank you. You bet. Visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. Your membership is appreciated. Your input is valued. Your voice is needed. 